Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 41. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. I'm so happy to be back. I am so happy to be feeling so much better. Yeah, you sound a lot better. Last week was pretty rough. I sound better. I feel better. Still fighting it off just a little bit, but what an improvement from last week. And you were so generous to share it with me. Thanks for that. What's mine is yours. Great. (laughs) What can I tell you? Um, Well, it was a a busy week uh, for those of you who follow Disney. Obviously, the the big opening of Aladdin this week. had some mixed reviews. That's the funny thing. And we're we're gonna go see it tomorrow. But so I'm kind of holding judgment, of course. But I people I know personally either loved it or they couldn't stand it. There was no middle ground. We got a phone call from our good <laughs> <Yes>, friends. We, <did. laughs> we got a phone call from our good friends, Devin and Brenna, uh on Friday night, I think it was. They saw it the first night. And uh, she called at like 10 o'clock at night, which is not the usual for us. And they're having a baby. So I picked up the phone immediately and I wanted to make sure everything was okay. And they were like, oh my God, Aladdin. It was not the phone call that I was expecting. No, but uh, it's okay though. <laughs> no, but it was it was great. It was funny. I was happy they called and uh, they loved it and they wanted to share the excitement with us right away. And they were very happy that they beat Monoreal in a minute out. Yes, yes, they were. So kudos to you on that one. But um, in celebration, so to speak, of the release of Aladdin, we wanted to talk about a film that sort of in the same vein as Aladdin, not just in setting, but kind of in story. Not totally, but there are certainly some similarities. We're going to compare and contrast. And of course, that is Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. What's interesting is that I didn't realize this was based off of a video game until we sat down to record this episode. Yep. Um, I kind of thought before they were doing all of these Disney remakes, this was their way of almost remaking Aladdin without actually remaking Aladdin. Because I feel like if Aladdin was the first one that they tried to do, like either that or Little Mermaid or even Lion King, people would have been really, really upset. So I, I kind of thought that this was their way of like dipping their toes in the water, but completely separate entity. Yeah, like I said, some things are kind of close. You can make a case that it's very similar, but they are two completely different movies. Um, the film opens up, we see Dustin. It's Dustin. For the longest time, I'm like, is it Dustin? Or Destin. Couldn't figure it out with everybody's I, I, different accents. And I know. kind of muddled. I actually had to look it up. And it's Destin. We see a young Destin defend a friend in the royal city. The king takes pity on the orphan and adopts him. Fast forward 15 years, we see that Destin is engaged in a street fight while his brothers uh, Tuss and Garciva... Um, Let's just call him Gary. Yeah, we're going to just call him Gary cuz it's it's just <laughs> it's it's going to get me eventually. Well, Gary and Tuss and their uncle um Nizam. Yes, these are all these are all the character names. <laughs> these are all the real things. Uh and I'm I'm trying so hard not to call him Kazam like that um what was that? It was um uh Shaquille O'Neal, yeah, right? Shaquille yeah, Shaquille O'Neal. Kazam. Well, this is Nazam. Uh, they are tracking a group who is selling weapons to the Persian enemies. They decide to attack the city of Alamut the next day. We meet Princess Tamina, who is made aware that the Persians are lurking. Destin leads the infiltration, and the chaos begins. During the battle, Destin obtains the dagger... Uh, later that evening, Destin presents his father, King Sharaman, with the prayer robe of Alamut's region and presents um, Tamina as uh, not she's not a prize, but she is presented to him as she has agreed to marry into the royal family 
to keep the peace politically. The king drops dead after finding out that the robe that he was given has been poisoned. Now, this is unbeknownst to Dastin, and he and Tamina escape because he has now been framed for this crime. Later, the two scuffle, and Dastin accidentally pushes a button on the dagger, activating the Sands of Time, revealing the dagger's true powers. After using the Sands of Time a second time, Dastin uses up all of the sand and sees that Tuss's motivation for attacking Alamut was to obtain the dagger and to become the most powerful king in Persian history. Dastin wants to show his uncle Nizam the dagger to clear his name and expose Tuss. He is also trying to obtain more sand for the dagger because he needs to use it a third time. Uh, Tamina knocks Dastin out, takes the dagger, and leaves him to die. However, he is found by the Umbaka, who is headed by Sheikh Amar. Uh, They're a group of, I'm not going to call them criminals, I'm not going to call them rebels, but, outlaws. Yeah, they're outlaws. They're exactly right. They're like the Middle Eastern version of like the outlaw cowboys, right? There you go. Okay. Uh, they later track down Tamina and get the dagger back. Uh, to thank him for his aid, Destin, quote unquote, trades Tamina to Amar, takes the dagger and fills it with sand out of a vial that Tamina has had on her necklace the entire time. She then reveals to him that she is the guardian of the sacred dagger and that it was being transported to safety when the invasion occurred. It turns out that Amar is using Tamina as a waitress at his ostrich race before calling Dastin out and says his brother has put a large bounty on his head and then before he can take Dastin into captivity, he and Tamina escape once again. They sneak into King Sharaman's funeral, and Dastin sneaks a note to his uncle to tell him what has happened. Dastin notices his uncle's hands are burned, but Nizam tells him it happened when he was trying to pull the cloak off of Sharaman. Nizam's men attack Dastin, but he escapes again. Nizam then tells Tuss that Destin tried to kill Nizam and that he should be executed rather than tried, but Tuss disagrees. Nizam then summons his men to again go after Destin. Destin heads out to the desert again and finds Tamina. They get separated a lot, um, but they find her and um, he tells her that Nizam never touched the cloak when the poisoning began and that Nizam, in fact, killed King Sharaman. Uh, Tamina tells Destin the sand glass of the gods is in Alamut and that only the blade of the dagger can cut into it. Destin shares a story of the day that his uncle saved his father from a lion while they were hunting and believes that this is the event that he is trying to change, leaving Sharaman dead while Nizam rules as the king. Sheikh Amar and his men track Destin down and capture him once again. Nizam's men also intercept and send snakes to the camp that they are staying in uh, to attack them and steal the dagger, uh, which initially they fail to do. Tamina tells Amar that there is gold to be had if he helps them get to the temple, which he agrees to do. Gary because I'm not going to say Garcive, because I will butcher it. Oh, look, you I just did. got it out. I just got you it. You did it. Gary intercepts them at the temple, and after seeing the carnage that Nizam had unleashed there the night prior, begins to uh, believe Destin, but is severely wounded as Nizam's men attack and steal the dagger. Garcive saves Destin before dying from his injuries. After tracking down the dagger after a lengthy knife battle ensues, uh, Destin, Tamina, and Amar come away with the dagger. Destin then tracks down Tuss and explains the dagger's powers, and he also explains Nizam's uh, plans. Uh, before stabbing himself with the dagger, forcing Tuss to push the button, activating the Sands of Time. Uh, Destin is then saved, but Tuss is killed by Nizam. Destin and Tamina head to the sand glass to refill the dagger, but are eventually intercepted by Nizam. Nizam throws Tamina 
over the ledge and is caught by Destin, who is already dangling from the ledge, but she sacrifices herself so that Destin can climb back over the ledge. Once he does, he plunges the dagger into the sand glass and pushes the button, resetting time and bringing us back to the battle at the beginning of the film. He exposes Nizam for what he truly is, becomes engaged to Tamina, and returns the dagger to its rightful place. Man alive, is that a mouthful? Yeah, that was a lot. I think so, I'm good. So no, yeah. here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. When you watch this movie, and you, you'll agree, and I think anybody that has seen this movie will agree, this sounds like a very convoluted plot when you read it out loud. But to its credit, the plot of the film is actually fairly easy to follow. It's, it's just Hamlet. The, there's yes, yes, it is. But there's a lot going on, and it's cut back and forth against this and that. So in that aspect, it seems confusing, but it does pace very well. I would agree with that. I think that has to do with how many different sets there are. Yes. Because they're out in the desert, they're up in the mountains, they're in the castles, they're in Persia, they're in Alamut. There, there's a lot of back and forth. And I think that's where it gets convoluted, is more in the setting than the actual story because yeah the story is pretty simple right um i i love these adventure types of films they had initially thought because this was jerry Bruck, uh jerry bruckheimer mm. he had a hand in this they thought this was going to be like another trilogy the way pirates of the caribbean was going to be a trilogy um it ended up not working out that way but i actually thought that with the exception of the first Pirates movie and maybe um, on Stranger Tides, that when you take this movie and put it up against the other Pirate movies, I thought that this plot was far more interesting. Um, it's hard for me to agree with that because I'm such a huge Pirates fan. Um, but you're right. There are so many elements here that do feel like a Pirates movie, and I think that that does have to do with Jerry Brockheimer producing, but not in a way that rips it off. No. These are still completely different movies. You know, it's totally different period pieces. This has this one completely stands on its own without ripping anything off. If anything, it rips off more of some of the animations, I feel like, than anything else. In what way? Um. Well... Like I said, it, it is like Hamlet in the sense that the brother kills his one brother kills the other to become the king and then the son's gotta avenge him, yada yada. Um, which is also the Lion King. Right. So okay. I mean, you're not necessarily ripping off the Lion King because that's already ripped off Shakespeare. But anyway, um from the jump, the parallels to Aladdin in the beginning, you know, you're starting with a narrator, uh, which I could have done without. Um I, I I mean, I, I get that they were going for trying to create this mythical environment, um, but we know it's historic, so I kind of feel like anything that they said in the narration could have come out very easily in the dialogue. Okay. So, whatever. That's that's not that big of a deal. But then, even right down to when um, Dastan, as a child, you meet him as an orphan, it's an apple which we see in Aladdin. Um, and then just even the horse rears up in the beginning, which, again, that's from Aladdin. And um, that that first scene where they're running through the streets, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to get away from that because you're it's an action movie. You are doing chase scenes, so you can easily compare that to one jump. But I feel like you can't do a film like this without including a chase scene through those Moroccan streets. Yes, absolutely. And I think the fact that um, this was all sets that they had done, you know, you kind of, you, you, you watch a movie like this and you just assume that it's a lot of CGI. And of course there is CGI in the film. Mm -hmm. But so many of these were practical sets. These were real sets that you wanted to utilize them and you kind of wanted to show them off. Right, and I, I think you had to go for practical with a film like this because of the way that they're running, because of the way that they're... You know, some of the sets they utilized almost reminded me of like a Jackie Chan film. The way that they're swinging around and jumping off of everything. 
it, it reminded me a lot of uh, like rush hour, the way that he'll yeah. just use whatever's in front of him to either use it as a, a to defend himself or he'll jump off of it to fight with. Right. And you get some Indiana Jones in there, too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, the sets are great. They're stunning. I mean, they're really impressive. Yeah, that was that was something I was really surprised at. Like, I'm glad that to pull off a film like this, that they actually went for it. They did all of the sets, all of the props, uh, you know, practical. Really, just some of the backgrounds were CGI, um, which I think you needed a little bit because they did film this on location in Morocco. So you're up against a lot of desert. You did need to kind of fill in the background for some of it and make some of the cityscapes look bigger. But otherwise... They built, um, they built the whole town, and then uh, the parts that they did in the studio. I think they shot at Pinewood in London, and they used like nine sound stages for their sets, which is insane. Yeah, they shot on the uh, 007 sound stage where mm-hmm. they sh- they've shot all the James Bond movies. Um, yeah, I mean, it just it looks really good, and that I think- just makes me want to say shame on Tim Burton. Right, when you look at what they did not accomplish in um, Alice. Alice. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of the CGI in this, not a lot, but some of it is unwatchably bad. Um, it's, it's only in a couple of scenes where it's very clear that they use CGI. And I wonder if that's because so much of it was a practical set. And so much of it was practical effects that when they leaned on the CGI, it just stood out that much more. Because um, this movie is not that old, CGI was not very primitive at the time. Right, but this is 2010. Times, right, but there are times where it stands out and it's pretty bad. I wonder if that was more budgetary because they did hire all of these local artisans to create not just the set but the props as well to make it look authentic. And I mean, it, if that's the case, like that's money well spent. Agree. You should be blowing your budget there rather than, yeah, I, I, the snakes in particular kind of looked a little funky to me. Right. And there's one scene, I want to say it's in the Royal City, where it just looks like a video game. I mean, a lot of this kind of looks like a video game. I don't know if they were trying to do that stylistically. I would think because it is one. But... I think if the movie has any, I mean, the movie has a few misses and we'll sort of go over them. Um, But that's where it is a miss to me. If you're stylistically trying to make it look like a video game, like I'm not playing a video game. I know that this was based off of a video game and admittedly, I didn't play the games. So I don't know the source material, which is some of the issues that, you know, the court of public opinion had with the movie was it didn't stay true to the source material. Look, this is like when somebody gets really mad that Transformers didn't stay true to source material. It's based on a damn toy. Okay, so give them a little bit of leniency because, as I said to you before, I do think that the plot is engaging. I do think it's paced very well. The movie does not get all that slow. There's a lot of opportunity for this movie to get slow, and there are times where it almost seems like it's going to start, but there's so much action going on And there's so much conflict because you've got the three brothers plus the uncle that and then, you know, Tamina has her own underlying issues with being a guardian of this dagger that like I watch this film and I think you really can't cut any of this out. No, you said it before. It is very well paced because just when you think you're going to get a breather, something else happens and not in a way that makes the film exhausting either where it's like, all right, let me. I need a break. I need to digest some of this information. Right. It's, it is really well done in that regard. I think that the banter back and forth between Dastin or uh, Dastin and Tamina, I really enjoy it because I think that they, I think it's very balanced. You have where they're kind of flirty and being cute and sarcastic versus being serious and I do feel like that balances out I don't feel that it's overwhelming in one direction or the next and when they bicker with each other I buy it it's very authentic I would definitely agree with that that's something else that really felt like Aladdin to me because you know 
Aladdin's whole thing is that he obviously wants to be with Jasmine and in a way he's already promised to her and as much as Jasmine likes him as a person she doesn't like the idea of having to be married to him and I think that's kind of this it is the same situation here is because uh, Tuss arranged the marriage between them and I think that she does like Destin but she doesn't want to let her guard down and admit it because it's not something that she chose to for herself well, it's not just that, but you know, as the film goes on, you find out that she's more than just a princess, that she is a guardian of this sacred dagger. Now, if I have another criticism with the script and the screenwriting, it's like, we get it. It's sacred. This is a sacred temple. This is a sacred dagger. <laughs> this is a sacred sand. This is a sacred, 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 sacred. Like, all right, if you were going to make a drinking game out of this movie, you drink every time they say the word sacred. Like, they just leaned on it way too much. Yeah. I I definitely agree. There's a lot of other words that you can use. You don't need to use anything. You can say sacred once, maybe twice. We obviously know that this has this dagger has magic powers. It's more than just a regular dagger. The fact that it is that it is that powerful and that we've seen how powerful it is because the dagger gets used multiple times throughout the film, you don't need to lean on the word sacred. We we know what we know seeing it that it's sacred. We right. get it. And the other thing that they kind of used as a crutch was that every time something happened, Tamina was like I'm going to go pray. Yeah. And I'm I'm not knocking that she's praying, but it's just that it's like we get it. You know, this is a sacred thing and this is your ancestors and this is what they did. So every time something major happened, she would just run away to pray. Right. And it's not like we're not saying you need to be subtle about it, but... You say it once, maybe twice, and that's it. We get it. But no, but that's what I'm saying. My issue is not with the praying. My issue is that it was, they they just kept doing it every time. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you keep coming back to us like we don't understand that, that, that this is all sacred. Yeah, you we, didn't keep, we understand. need to reinforce the importance over and over like And that. I felt like after a while it just became a like a crutch. Yeah. Like, why do you feel the need to have to justify this journey? Why do you feel the need to justify the dagger? We know. We've seen it in in action. Right. And I feel that for a movie that does so many things well, I think that that's kind of 101. Like they just kept leaning on something. It's like like if you were watching E.T., how many times did Elliot turn and point at him and go, Alien. Like, it, you didn't have to say it. We knew he was an alien. Right. That's right. that's what it would have been like if every five minutes he just pointed and said, look, I have an alien. Right. And I, I can't imagine that they did it, you know, if this was geared towards kids to keep reinforcing that. I don't think you needed it either to make us believe why Tamina would have to be on this journey with Dastan because she kept kind of getting thrown in with him. It's yes. not like she was tagging along under the guise of, well, I kind of have a thing for him, but I'm going to stay with the dagger. Right. And it did get a little old with the whole, okay, we're separated, we're back together. We're separated, we're back together. I mean, it, it only happened a couple of times. One more time and it would have been completely overkill. No, but the last time that it happened, it was very unrealistic because they they were separated and he finds her in like in the middle of the desert the last time they reconnect. Right. Which like, to me went, is went totally unbelievable. Own. Yeah. Like she went out on her own and she had pitched her own camp. Right. That was, I think it was after the Sheik. Yes. 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 And then they get stuck in the sandstorm. Correct. But it, it's like, how did you both kind of get dumped there? Yeah. It, it was a bit convenient. Um, the first fight that we see, between Destin and Gary, um, it ends so abruptly. I don't know if you caught that. Um, they fight each other after the king has passed away, and mm-hmm. they think that Destin has has killed him. They get into a fight, and you think it's going to be this epic brothers fight, and it's just like, done. 
it ends so quickly and they just move on from it so fast. Well, because Destin knocks him out and he could kill him, but, you know, to save himself because his brother has a bounty on his head, but he's not going to do that because he genuinely cares for his brothers. Right. I guess it's just when you see it starting to develop, the mind goes, you know, if you watch enough film, the mind goes to a place where you think you're going to watch this epic battle between these two brothers. Think about the sword fight in Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, the first film, the first time you see Jack Sparrow and Orlando Bloom's character, William Turner, when you see the sword fight, and it's become an iconic scene in um, in the the, um, the 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 shop where he makes them, yeah. and they're sword fighting with, uh, and and the the swords are sparking because they're still yeah they, they're still hot. They pulled it out of the po- the fire. Yeah, that's kind of where you think this is going to go. I'm, but it's done in under 20 seconds. I'm actually really glad that you brought that up. I think that's why, number one, it was so short. And what I really like is that for all the sword fighting they did in this movie, it wasn't gimmicky. Because Pirates, it's supposed to be over the top. I think it's even supposed to be a little cartoony. Um, this wasn't. This is supposed to be more historically accurate. So for as much as they were running around and jumping off of buildings and, uh, you know, they do a lot of uh, kind of like gymnast moves where they're swinging off of poles and things like that, that does feel a little bit, you know, to me that's where it does feel like Aladdin where they were pulling from that animation a little bit. Um, especially I'm thinking more of like one jump. Um, but I'm kind of glad that they left all the sword fighting for the swashbuckling pirates and they did keep it more realistic here. Yeah. Because these are soldiers. They're not, you know, sword fighting is not their thing. So I don't think it needed to go on that much. Right. All right. I'll give you that. Um, I'll take it. Do you have anything else to add on the, uh, script or the plot before we move on here? Um, one thing that I thought was a really smart choice um was that the king adopted Dastan. i mean i think it it's the very beginning of the movie it does a lot to set up all the characters really you see that the king is good and fair and um you know that he took pity on on this orphan um but what i really like about that setup is that uh, you know, it immediately breaks all the parallels with Aladdin right then and there. And it makes Dastin a prince in his own right. So it's not like he was raised and he's got a sense of entitlement and he's cocky. Um, and it also makes it more, it's really his story. It's not about him marrying a princess either to become to become royalty. Right. Well, they go out of their way to say that he's he's a great candidate, not candidate for prince, but the king liked the fact that this was not somebody that was born into it, therefore he wasn't going to be hungry for the throne. Right. Which is why he felt safe bringing him into the palace. Right. And the kid at that point is just happy to have a new lease on life. Right. Exactly. Um, no, it's, it's a great setup. Um, and I, I, again, not being familiar with the video game, I'm not sure if this is something that, you know, they did to Disneyfy the story. Um, but I think it was just smart, you know, starting the film when he's a kid and then showing how it progressed instead of starting as adults and, and using it as a throwaway. Yeah. Uh, what else you got? No, that was it. I don't really have a lot you know this to me the story works yes yes it does i don't really have a lot of things to pick apart about it neither do i i think you have a very clear beginning middle and end i think you have clear motivation sure and i think that for the most part you have endearing characters starting with destin i mean you mentioned it before he's very endearing in terms of being a prince. He's his own person. As I said, he wasn't hungry for the throne, and it's a very interesting story. I don't know that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal looks Persian, um, (laughs) 
But uh, and I, I don't know that the Persians had English accents. Maybe they all did. I really don't know. Not the best English accent either. I'm sorry. No. But with all that being said, I actually liked Hall in this movie a lot. I thought that he played it well because he was heroic enough, snarky enough, and sort of in over his head at times. I felt that he's very smart, but there were times where he got lucky the way Jack Sparrow got lucky. And sometimes it was just dumb luck. In, in some of his scenarios where he was able to get himself out of trouble. I agree with the dumb luck. I disagree with the snark. Because to me, that's where the character loses something a little bit. Because, you know, like I said, it's not like he was born a prince. So he doesn't have that arrogance and that sense of, ent- sense of entitlement. But... Where I feel they kind of towed the line and they didn't really go one way or the other and that's where he kind of loses the appeal is that he is very clever and he does figure things out but he doesn't go off the cuff the way that Jack Sparrow does and Jack Sparrow never really has a plan. He's just going to do what's convenient for him in that moment whether it's on the side of good or bad it doesn't matter and it always has a way of working itself out. And usually he'll make it work for himself. I feel like Destin saw the end game, but never really knew how he was going to get there. And you're right, he is kind of making it up as he goes along. But I don't know. I, I he, he just... I, I guess that's it. I'm too much of a fan of Jack Sparrow to really put anything up against him. But Hall didn't play it cocky enough to to make me believe that he had this figured out the whole time so you're right definitely dumb luck um i do like jake gyllenhaal in this role in this role i like a lot of his earlier films like i still probably october sky is like one of my favorite roles that he was in that was like his first movie yeah that was a great movie and i like donnie darko Um, So I was happy to see him get a Disney film. I thought it was cool to see him in this action role. But with that being said, I kind of feel like anybody could have played him. And I think that that's part of my issue with them not committing to, is he really one? That's what it is. He's lacking that one step ahead thing that Jack Sparrow's got going for him, where even though Jack Sparrow is flying off the cuff, he's always got it figured out. And he's always ahead of everybody else. Whereas Dastin lacks that. And he knows his end game, but he doesn't, he just doesn't know exactly how he's going to get there. Okay. Um, I could see maybe Orlando Bloom playing this role, but I think that's way too close to Pirates. Um, he would have gotten the English accent. Lord knows a lot better. Um, but I actually would have liked to see maybe Jared Leto in this role. Yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> you can't see Sean's face right now, but he does not agree. Uh, no, I, I, I disagree. And I disagree on Orlando Bloom. I just think that Orlando Bloom is too pretty for this role. And it's not to say that Jake Gyllenhaal does not... I was going to say, you don't think Jake Gyllenhaal's pretty? You can dirty him up, though. And that's funny to say that you can't do that with Orlando Bloom because he was in the pirate films, but this is a different kind of dirty up. This isn't like a dirty old sea dog. This is, you want to talk about Aladdin? Street rat. And I don't think that Orlando Bloom can pull off a street rat the way that Jake Gyllenhaal can. I would have, especially if we're going for, like, can pull off dirty and scrappy, I would have liked to see Norman Reedus do it, but too old for this. Way too old for this. Um, And then Tamina. I like Tamina. But similarly, other than her being all about fulfilling her destiny as being a guardian of this dagger, she doesn't really do it for me. It's not that I find her to be weak. I just feel like she's the fill in the blank female lead character. I, uh, she's not Jasmine. She's not um, Kira Knightley from Pirates, at least from the first film. Right. Where you have a character that is so strong and stands out on her own. I feel like this is 
a 101 kind of character that gets lost in the shuffle in terms of she's not even a femme fatale it, it's just yep. she she's just a female lead and i i don't mean that offensively but that's all that tamina is i 100% agree and here's why um I feel like they tried to make a strong female character because she talks very tough, but her role is to protect that dagger. And whenever something real happens, she either runs off to pray, like we said, or you'll notice she's standing off to the side screaming. Like in the final showdown between Dastan and Tuss, when he tells him how the, the dagger works and everything. She's standing outside. She's not even hiding. There's like She's a like sheer curtain. Yeah. Yeah. And you can clearly see that she's there, but she's not doing anything. Does nothing when Dastin stabs himself. There's also another instance. I can't remember exactly what scene it was in, but again, Dastin was fighting and she's just standing off to the side, not She's not really being a damsel in distress, but she's certainly not doing anything to help him either. And, you know, if we're comparing to Aladdin again, she's not nearly as clever as Jasmine. And we had talked about that last week, that Aladdin and Jasmine were so on the same level. Like from the minute they meet on the streets of Agrabah, you know, he tries to save her and he's throwing her a bone by making her out to be a crazy person and she plays right into it and she goes along with it. Tamina did none of that. Yeah, I I agree with you. It was just protect the dagger, but like when something happened to the dagger, she was just waiting for him. So I guess, I guess maybe you could say she was playing the damsel in distress a little bit because she always left it up to him unless she was taking it away from him. Right. So she was a damsel in distress sometimes. And she could, she came off like a femme fatale sometimes, but that's it. She's just a sometimes sort of character. Yeah, I think what they were missing was like that one character defining moment where, and they try. That's what it is too. They tried to give it to her when she sacrifices herself at the end, but you know he's hanging on to her. He doesn't want to let her go. She lets go. And then she screams. Right, as if she fell by accident. Exactly, exactly. It screams, almost cries out for help. And she's supposed to be sacrificing herself, which, by the way, that was another big mess up. I don't know if you caught that. She's screaming, but her mouth's not open. I did I did notice that. It's really bad. Not to mention, you sacrificed yourself so that he could activate the dagger. So you're sacrificing yourself, but you're... As now, this is assuming he can pull it off. Of course, um, you're sacrificing yourself, but you're not actually going to die, right? You know, and I, I felt that when she did that, and specifically when she was crying and screaming for help, as soon as she let herself go, it's like, but ten minutes ago, you were angry at him for not allowing you to fulfill your destiny of dying for the dagger. So now. You, you've had this whole, this is my destiny, destiny and I'm a guardian, and you, you hold yourself in such high regard, and you take it so seriously, but when push came to shove and it was time to do it, you could tell you really didn't want to. Well, I do think part of that was because she was in love with him, and I think the crying was more over losing him. Because she knew that, that time was going to reset itself differently. Exactly. But the scream was just all wrong. Yes. Especially because she wasn't even genuinely screaming. Like, if that was done in ADR, why not make it better and more realistic? Or just don't do it because your or mouth wasn't open. don't do it. Exactly. Um, his brothers and the king. Again, it's not that I dislike the actors. It's not that I dislike the characters. But, but they're brothers and a king. They're brothers and a king. They're no different than brothers or a king that you've seen in any other movie. Let's talk villainous uncle, please. Yes. Let's talk about Ben Kingsley. We're going to talk about him, and then we're going to talk about Alfred Molina. Two of my favorite actors in any film. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Ben Kingsley is fantastic. And he's good 
in everything. He's one of those actors that I would watch read a phone book. Yes. Yes. Even in that that disappointing Iron Man movie, the the standout, the the one thing that was good in that movie was Ben Kingsley. Yep. He's without question the most talented actor in this cast. And I think he's probably the best character in this film. You know what's funny is that we keep seeing the trailer for the new Aladdin, which we're going to see tomorrow. And you keep saying Jafar doesn't look evil enough. Jafar doesn't look evil enough. And before before watching this, I had kind of forgotten that he was even in this. I had thought Ben Kingsley would make a great Jafar. And this just proves it. Yeah, he might be a little too old to play Jafar, but with what you can do with makeup, you could easily make him look 15 years younger. I don't know. I kind of feel like Jafar is supposed to be old. I feel like the the person that's playing him in the remake is too young, actually. I agree with that. I always look Jafar like more as middle-aged, early to mid-40s. Yeah, but kind of has like four miles of bad road on him. Right, because he's just so evil and sadistical. Yeah. But I would have loved to have seen, have seen Ben Kingsley in that role, but he played this so well. He's sadistic, and he's believable. Like, Absolutely. You, have, you always have a good villain when they can buy into their own lies, mm. but without tripping themselves up. He does trip himself up when... He burned his hands, but immediately it was, oh, I burned my hands trying to pull the cloak off your father. Don't you remember? He's very like he, even keel yes, throughout the entire He thing. never panics. Mm-hmm. The only bit of panic you see, him in, see in him is at the end of the film where he goes to kill Destin. But otherwise, and that, that was a little uncharacteristic for him because he was sort of losing his cool. But other than that, and even that's sort of forgivable, because you needed a conclusion to that part of the story. Right. I thought he was an outstanding villain. I just love everything about him. Agreed. And I, I can't even... I have nothing to add to that. He was he was fantastic. And Alfred Molina as Sheik Amar, similarly, Molina's great. Molina's great in everything. He was the biggest surprise in this film, and he is such a scene stealer. Yes. Not just him, but the character that he plays, too. He's the comic relief of the movie, and he's kind of absurd. Oh, he's completely absurd, and he he does have some of the best dialogue in the flick. Um, Like no more fermented goat's milk for you? It's exactly right, after the third race. Yes, (laughs) after the third, yes. I, uh, I thought that... He was just enough comic relief without being too goofy. They never made him too silly. Right. And because he's kind of got this criminal underlord thing going on and he's hanging out with this gang of bandits for all intents and purposes, they gave him just enough motivation. But again, they knew where to be just subtle enough. You know he doesn't want to pay his taxes. You know he wants his gold. They mention it a couple of times. But it never becomes overwhelming. They never really beat it to death. They do it just enough. And you do see where the character has a a clear character arc. Where in spite of the fact that he is motivated by his own greed, he's still one of the good guys. Right. And I don't know that... Anybody else playing the same character written the same way would have done it quite as well as Molina did it. Yeah, I agree. Because the whole operation of the Valley of Slaves is just hysterical. He's, he, you're right. Like you said, he, he's doing it to avoid paying taxes. But they've built up this reputation where, you know, it almost sounds like you're going to have to go through a battle between the Bloods and the Crips to get through them. Yeah. And... um. It, it's just so funny and all they're really doing is is just betting on ostriches out there and they're just kind of running their own self-governed little area of the desert like the whole concept is hilarious yeah um yeah and he he plays it like he's kind of got a screw loose but he knows exactly what he's doing right 
Um, I think the cinematography is great. We talked about it before. Stunning. And a lot of that is because of the fact that they shot on location in Morocco. I love the score in this film. At times it sounds a little piratey, but it works. I mean, not not really because it is so authentic to to the location of the film but there's certain like in the action sequences it feels a little piratey but see but not in a rip-offy way not in a rip-offy way and i feel like it accomplishes its goal of sounding authentic to the region but also creating drama creating anticipation absolutely creating pace i just feel like they just they did such a good job with it. Yeah, it's great. Um, I think that now this movie was the number one top grossing video game movie for at least a couple of years. And yet I'd never heard of it. Right. And then I think Minecraft or Warcraft or War of the Worlds, any I don't know what these games are anymore. Like I'm I'm still like I play Madden, I play NHL, and did a Mario game come out this year? Like, that's about as far as I go, maybe a little bit of Call of Duty, and that's it. So I can't keep track of these games anymore. I still have my Super NES from when I was six years old. It's probably the best money my parents have ever spent. I still have the original Nintendo Entertainment Center. It's sitting here in the room. Those are built to last. They don't make them like that anymore. No, well, now everything from a video game to a car and everything in between is made to break. Um, But I think that... This movie is better than the critics made it out to be. I think it's better than they gave it credit for. Parts of it, like I mentioned earlier, it's it feels like you're watching a video game. Sometimes cutting to slow motion, it sort of took me out of it a little bit. Um, I mentioned the CGI before, and I think I didn't notice it quite as much the first time I saw the movie because we did see it in 3D. It was one of those advanced screenings that we did when we were still working for the radio station. So I think because it was 3D, you were kind of fully immersed in everything and maybe it didn't stand out quite as much. So it looked a lot worse once it came onto uh, Blu-ray. But I would have loved to see more. And the movie made almost $400 million in its run. It sold over a million and a half copies of Blu-ray and DVD. So it was a big hit in home video. But, you know, it, it just... When you have a movie that costs 150 to $200 million to make and it doesn't make back $400 million, they're not going to make any more movies. That's it. Right. No, and I, I definitely would have watched more. You mentioned the CGI, CGI just now. We did talk about some really bad CGI. We didn't talk about how cool the effect is with the sands of time itself when they actually hit the dagger. Um, I love the gold colors that they use and I love how they kind of make the characters step out of body and they'll rewind it so that it goes through the motions of what just happened. But it's, it's a really cool effect and that's really, really well done. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and say it's the greatest film ever made. It's far from it, but it's a fun movie if you've never seen it, I would suggest going out to see it. Or, you know, if you come across it on the television, certainly I think it's going to be up on Disney Plus when it launches later this year. I think the movie's worth watching, personally. Yeah, I always enjoy this movie. I remember when we saw it, my I walked out of the theater and I was like, this was like the live-action Aladdin. It's just fun. Yeah, and honestly... If they weren't remaking everything, I'd be okay if it was. In its own sort of way. Well, we're interested in knowing what you guys have to say about it. If you've seen the movie, give us your review on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Obviously, the big news from this past week was the release of Aladdin in theaters. As we've said a couple of times, we're going to go scope it out tomorrow. There's a video circulating on the internet we shared it on our facebook page yesterday if you haven't seen it yet you have to check it out the video is will smith at the premiere he's doing the red carpet premiere and clearly these are not children that are of the general public 
to get this close to Will Smith, to get this close to the blue velvet rope, you got to know somebody who knows somebody. Sure. But the little ones are sitting there having a conversation with Will Smith. They recognize him as the genie, and I'd say they're four or five years old. And they said, you're the genie? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the genie. That's me. I'm genie. And they're like, where are your magic powers? And he was like, well, I can't show them off here because sometimes people are afraid of genies. So I had to like go into human form to come out here tonight so I could blend in a little bit. And like, he was just so good with the That's kids. That's pretty cool. The best part is, he goes, did you girls meet Princess Jasmine yet? And they're like, no. And he goes, is this your mom? Points to the person holding the camera. They go, yeah. He's like... I'm going to take them to go meet Princess Jasmine and undoes the rope to, wow. and takes the little the two little kids to go meet the actress who played Jasmine. This is on the red carpet at the premiere of the film. That's very cool. So Will Smith doing everything he can to swing the court of public opinion in his favor. <laughs> well, he, he made a little Disney magic, a little genie magic. I give right him credit. There. That's I mean, pretty awesome. I give him credit for not only being quick on his feet, which, of course, you're going to be. You're an actor. So I'm sure that there is a certain amount of improv that goes into any film that you're in. But he's had his own kids. And we've all grown up. Well, not all of us, but like people of our generation have grown up with Will Smith. So I just love the fact that he embraces doing this so much. Definitely. And that he's kind of put himself out there and... It made me really excited to see the movie tomorrow, and I can't wait to get a monoreal in the minute up. Hopefully, we're not let down. But if you guys have seen the film, let us know what you thought of the Aladdin remake on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Monoreal Radio. Other big news this week, in case you're living under a rock, Galaxy's Edge is going to open this Friday, May 31st, in Disneyland. So if you're interested in going to see that, or when it opens in Florida in August taking a trip to Walt Disney World, get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.